Greetings, Amazing Grace Church. I did not anticipate uh, being here today in this capacity. I'm about to preach with my prospective bride of two more weeks hearing me for the first time. I am about to preach to my ex-seminary professor whose frown was my demise in seminary. And although he didn't frown very often. And my, my greatest fear as a preacher has been realized that I am a note person and I have no notes. Other than that, everything's fine. So, pardon me? What? Okay. I know that they say familiarity breeds contempt, and I think to a certain extent that's true. Um, the passage that was just read to you was not in a vacuum. If you look at the beginning of chapter 18, it comes as a package. He, the Lord Jesus calls his disciples to come, and he teaches them what's between verses 1 and the end of chapter 18. Now, many times, preachers and pastors will take a particular section of that and preach it with much edification, but that's not the way that it was presented to the people that heard it the first time. In the beginning of this chapter, um, up to verse 21, the, um, the context is basically that God wants us, Jesus wants us, to love one another and to seek one another when we stray, to make it a priority to be one another's keeper. And then in, in uh, verse 21 that was read in your hearing, and I'd like to read it again, and keep in mind that this is to disciples, this is to Matthew, um, Peter, all the rest of the apostles. And notice in the end of this chapter, and this is where the thing struck me uh, profoundly about forgiveness. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. I'm going to read it again. Until he should pay all his debt. And then this. And so also my heavenly Father will do even unto every one of you, that is, the apostles, the inner circle, if you do not forgive your brother, and then this, from the heart. I think, I know for myself, that I have lived much of my Christian life forgiving, but falling short of from the heart. And there's a vast difference. When you forgive, sometimes you'll tolerate somebody, you'll put up with them, but you don't forgive them from the heart. You don't make it to the point where there is nothing, no offense between you and that person. That the relationship is, is restored just as it was before the offense happened. And I have to confess that many times in my life I have forgiven people, and it's interesting that Jesus added that if he had just said in verse 34 so will my heavenly father 
do unto every one of you if you do not forgive your brother. And if he would have ended there, it would have had a whole different meaning to what Jesus was saying. But he says, from your heart. And he's talking to the big A apostles. And that if Peter, who asked about how many times he should forgive, if Peter didn't get it right about what it really means to forgive from the heart, that what happens to uh, what would have happened to Peter would have been at the end of verse 35. That Peter would have proven himself to be one who didn't know what forgiveness is, and therefore he would have proven not to be one of Christ's disciples. So I know that sounds kind of shocking, but we need to be and to learn what it is to be a forgiving people. Let's read again these words starting in verse 21. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. And therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed who owed him debt that you couldn't pay in a thousand lifetimes. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, and with his wife and children all that he had in payment to be made. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a very small sum, something that could have been paid without too much trouble, and began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison, and he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servant saw what he had taken place, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And so my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, the disciples in Matthew 18, and us by extension, if you will not forgive your brother, your sister in Christ, their sin. We should be, of all the things that should mark us, we should be a very forgiving people. And unfortunately, um, I find in my heart that when someone sins against me, when somebody wants to do me harm, I want to natively do harm to them. And I want to give in to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And if we do that enough, we'll have a world filled with toothless and eyeless people. And Jesus... Um, I wish I could go little by little and explain uh, and open up all of what is in front of this text, but I can't. So I know that scene may be shocking to you that I read that Jesus will do to you if you don't fill, if you don't forgive your fellow servants the way that God has forgiven you. And this is not a one-time thing. In the Christian life, how many times in a morning do we sin enough that we need to go before the throne of grace and ask God to forgive us. 
I'm dealing with a situation, I can't go into details, but I'm, I'm dealing with a situation in forgiveness that has been a real burden in my life, has been a plague in my life, and has made this topic of forgiveness a very contemporary one in my life. And the problem with this other person who, other persons who named the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their read on the situation is that they need to see that I make up and restore whatever it is that they feel against me to their satisfaction, then they will forgive me. And that's not what forgiveness is. When we go to the Lord, the Lord doesn't do that to us. 70 times 7 times 7 times 7 times 7 times 7. When I go to my Lord and I say, Lord, I've screwed up again. Please forgive me. He doesn't demand, well, you go out and you do this, that, and the other thing, and then come back and we'll talk about forgiveness. He doesn't do that to us. And we shouldn't do that to other people, particularly those who name the name our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Notice with me that in um, verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to the master that had taken place. Then his master summoned him. Notice that this man who had done this sin and who had been forgiven, noticed that the master had forgiven him from the heart that he had been restored to the same position that he was before the offense took place. He didn't say, well, you're going to be demoted and I'm going to make you just in charge of a little thing or lesser things, or I'm going to make you feel like a, uh, an unwelcome toad in my presence. But he restored him to whatever the position was that he had before the offense took place. And that's what forgiveness from the heart looks like. And I wish to God I could say that I've always done that, but I haven't. Pray for me that I'd be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a, a price to be paid, as we'll see a little bit further on in this uh, message, that when we as Christians forgive, but do not forgive from the heart, when there remains something between you and the person who has sinned against you, when you're bitter or angry or you hold them off at a distance, You'll go to church with them. You'll even sit in the same pew if you have to, but you don't want to. You'll try to find some of this pew to sit in. And when it's time to have coffee in the back, you'll wait for that person to finish and getting their coffee, and you'll find your own little group of friends to talk to. That's not forgiveness, the way that Jesus said to forgive. So I want us to see that, that uh, forgiveness is not some optional thing and I want us to show I want to show two particular circumstances and again I have no notes I'm sorry so forgive me um, but one of them is in 2nd Samuel with David and his son Absalom would you look with me at 2nd Samuel 14 2nd Samuel 14 and I'm trying to find the right verses Yeah, I'll try to give you a little bit of context. Absalom had committed a great sin, and his father, David, would not forgive him. 
And so Absalom appeals to Joab, who is a general in King David's army, and they were neighbors. And he appeals to Joab and says, uh, intercede for me. And he does it in a strange way, but he intercedes for for uh, Absalom. And by constraint, David says, okay, I'll forgive Absalom. Let him come to Jerusalem. But he's not going to come to my house. I'm not going to have fellowship with him. I'm going to forgive him, but I am not going to forgive him from where? The heart. And he did that for two years. And for two years, Absalom, his heart began to turn against his father, David. And it got to the point where he was so angry with his father that he began to hate his father. And he conspired with other people to take the kingdom and the kingship away from his father. And that's what unforgiveness does. That's what King David's forgiveness, but not from the heart, did. And we need to be, you need to be, extremely careful in this area that when somebody asks you to forgive them, make sure that you don't do what King David did to Absalom. And then there's one other example that I'd like for us to see, and it's in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I wish I had my notes. I could do a, a more extensive job, but I don't. In Philippians chapter 4, there are two women, Euodia and Syntyche. I'm not sure of the pronunciation, but I think that's right. In chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I exhort, literally, I'm pleading, I'm begging, Euodia. And he doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, I entreat and I plead with Euodia and Syntyche. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche. He shows them respect, both of them. To agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow's neighbor, uh, fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Here you have two pillars of the church in Philippi. Godly women. Women that Paul puts his imprimatur on and says that these were women that helped me in the gospel. They were with me. They helped me. They did everything that they could do to help foster the gospel that I preach. But somehow, some way along the line, Euodia and Syntyche began to have interpersonal problems. And they went to the same church. And it's interesting, I looked it up. In the town of Philippi, there was only one church back then. But guess how many churches there are in that area now, Christian, that named the name of Christ? There's something like 250. And human nature being what it is, do you think in today's America that Euodia and Syntyche would have made good with each other? Or what is likely that 
one or the other or both of them would have done. They would have left, don't you think? This is a Lucenti maxim. I think that there's truth in it. This is Lucenti in the white spaces. That the flesh will always take the path of least resistance, given a choice. And I think that if there were more churches in Philippi than one, one or both of them would have left and gone to the other church. But they would have gone and left for the other church with sin and unforgiveness in their hearts. And it comes at a price, as we'll see in a few minutes. When you do that to one of God's people, God does this to you. And if you're looking in life to explain why it is in the past weeks or months or days that you haven't been close to the Lord, why don't you look and see and ask the question, is there someone in my life that I have not forgiven from the heart? Of all the things, you know, God is love, no doubt about it, but one of the main components of love is that we forgive. And if we don't learn to forgive, we are not to be named as one of God's children, true children. If we don't understand what God has forgiven us, how can we forgive other people? And if you won't forgive from the heart, you don't understand what God has done for you. So, Euodia and Syntyche were in the same church. They labored there or did whatever it is that the ladies did. They fellowshiped, but I'm sure I could see that on the table, Euodia was at one table and Syntyche was at the other. Can you see them? And they went that way for a while. But it got so bad that somebody noticed, whoever the pastor or pastors were of this church, it got so bad that everybody noticed. And evidently, the pastor or pastors of the church could not get Euodia and Syntyche to agree again in the Lord, to put down whatever it is that offense that they had against each other. And so the pastor or pastors of that church wrote to Paul and said, Paul, what should we do with these godly women? They're, they're Christians. They're the real deal. But they can't seem to get past this problem that they have with each other. Now, I don't know how it all worked out, but I do know what was required of them, that they were supposed to forgive each other from where? The heart. And I can tell you this, that if Euodia and Syntyche kept that up for a week, a month, a year, or whatever it is, that those two people did not have a close relationship with God. And I can tell you this, that if human nature is what I know it to be, that we're always looking to have people agree with us and take the side of somebody else. And you begin to have factions, like in the church of Corinth. I am of Paul. I am of Syntyche. I am of Lodia. And you can see, without really struggling, how that could be the ruination of a church. Real quick. And it, it seems to me that in modern-day America, that there are so many churches that when it comes to church discipline, which is mentioned in uh, verses 15 to 20, that when you go to somebody and you mention whatever it is that the issue is, if they don't hear you, you bring a couple of other people. If they don't hear you, you bring, bring it to the elders in the church. And when, if the judgment goes against you, 
most people I have seen when in church discipline, they don't submit and say, well, with all these people are disagreeing with me, I better take a look at myself and say, is there something to their accusations? That what they do is what Syntyche or Euodia would do if they had choices. What do they do? Haven't you seen it in your own life if you've been a Christian any number of years? They go from church to church to church to church until they find a pastor who will smile at them and say, well, you're okay, don't worry about it. I'm sure you were right in your, in your judgment. But God notices, and my Bible tells me that if you don't forgive from the heart, not just forgive, but if you don't forgive from the heart, that God will not forgive you. Think about that. We don't know how it came out, but I know that it was a problem. And I know that in the churches that I have been in over the years, I don't have to think very long or very hard to see Euodia and Syntyche in the churches. I have been Euodia or Syntyche at different times. Maybe you have. And I would exhort you, I'm going to save, save this for the end, but I'm going to say it now. My brothers and sisters in Christ at Amazing Grace Church, this church has gone through an awful lot. But God has been kind, more than kind, and he's brought the church from where it was to where it is now. And with all my heart, I want to come back, and I want to be a part of this church. My wife, prospective wife, she's crazy enough to want to marry me. She wants to come back too because she sees in this church loving people who take the word of God seriously. My brothers and sisters, I plead with you as, as uh, Paul pleaded with whoever, Euodia and Syntyche, if there is somebody in this church, if you have a brother, if you have a sister that you're just putting up with and you're going through the motions, I ask you in Christ's name, repent. Because if you won't do that, God will keep you at a distance. Look with me at Psalm 51, would you please? You know this psalm. Notice with me in verse 8. Now keep in mind the context. Uh, David had been living in sin. And he's now in a repentant attitude. He's asked God to forgive him. But he's talking about his experience now while he was living in sin. And he says, Lord, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Not 
Restore to me the joy, excuse me, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your with a willing spirit. Not restore to me my salvation, but restore to me what? The joy of my salvation. And if you look at Galatians chapter 5 and you look at the fruits of the Spirit, what's the second thing that's mentioned? Joy. And so all the while that David was living in sin, what did he not have? Joy. And he was going through the motions. And if he was Euodia or Syntyche, his brothers and sisters in the Lord would see him for what he is and know that something's not right. And if they loved him enough, they would talk to him. And so I would say to you, my brothers and my sisters, if there's someone in this church, your brother, your sister, that you have something against and you have quote, forgiven him, but not from the heart. If that brother or sister has not been restored to the same relationship that you had before that offense taken place, you have not forgiven him. You have not forgiven her. And God will not forgive you until you do. Let me end this with Ephesians chapter 4. I'm sorry that you didn't get much, but that's the best I have for without notes. Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members or parts of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, Euodia and Syntyche. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hand so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And then this. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then in particular this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't put distance between you and the Holy Spirit. Don't put distance between you and God. Don't make God have to put his hand up and say, hold away from me. Don't do that. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind one to another tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you and I would say to you if there is the trace of bitterness in your heart towards anyone in this room if there is a trace of anger or wrath or clamor or slander or gossip put it away from you be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God forgave you. My brothers and sisters, if this, we're going to make a difference in this world, in Greene County or any other place on this globe, there's going to have to be something that people see long before they see the guy in the pulpit. When somebody pulls up into that parking lot, my ideal church would look like this. To be everything from a 61 Ford that's rusting out to a new Mercedes. 
And when you see the people in the pew, there'd be everybody from casual dress to formal dress. And when you look in the pews, you see black people and white people and yellow people and all other kinds of people, polka dotted people, but all kinds of people. And if people come into this church and see those things before the guy ever opens up his mouth, people will know that there is something different happening in this place. And that's what I want for Amazing Grace Church. Isn't that what you want? Then keep short accounts with your brothers and your sisters. When people come to this place, let people see how forgiving and how loving and how much you put a price on wearing peace like a chain in Ephesians chapter 4. I'll close with an apocryphal story. Um, there was a pastor um, laughed at me one time for saying this, so he can laugh again. There was a yard sale for demons. And they're looking at all the benches and seeing what's on sale. And the highest price was on a wedge, a little blunt wedge. And the one demon asked the other demon, well, why is this so expensive? He says, it's simple, because if you can take this wedge and put it between people and just keep pounding and get people to be apart from each other and to disagree, you have won the day. You have done the devil's work. You get a gold star. The devil is not interested in what, what's happening in the bars. The devil is not interested. He's already got them. The devil's not interested in what hap happens in politics or whatever other kind of place. He's interested particularly what happens here in this place. He wants in every way, one last thought, in the book of Job, in the first chapter, the Lord asks Satan, where have you been? And Satan says, I've been going around the earth and God asked Job, or the devil, have you considered my servant Job? And, and the devil says, yes. And he says, well, what did you see? And the devil said, well, you have hedged him in on every side. I can't get to him. How does he know that? How does the devil know that? Because he tried to go on the east, the west, the north, the south, and to look for weak places in, in Job's life. And if there was a weak place, the devil would have found it. And he's looking for you. And he's looking for me. And if we don't get this forgiveness down, we don't really know what Christianity is all about. Christian people are and should be the most forgiving people on the face of this globe. May it be true of Amazing Grace Church. And um, I have been seeing this, this church go through its revolutions and, and its uh, expansions and contractions. And I am so proud of you that have, uh, but we're in the heat of the day. Keep loving each other. Keep teaching people how to love each other. And God will be pleased with you. Let's pray.